This is The Other 14 Podcast. Hello and welcome to our second World Cup bonus episode of the Other 14 podcast. England have made it out of their group, but there have been other interesting upsets throughout the World Cup so far. And we'll be doing a bit of a deep dive into the group stages so far, looking at England's performances, other 14 performances worth remembering, and looking at the underdogs who have managed to achieve really good results so far. This week, as always, we're joined by Tom. Hello, Reese. Hello, Tom. Undefeated through the group. I'm pretty sure that's guaranteeing that football's coming home, right? Football is coming home. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And thank you. That's all we have time for this week on the Other 14 podcast. Join us next week. <laughs> no, um, I feel England is a bit of a roller coaster this group stage with people's reactions to the games. Um, we'll go into it a little bit more, but. Were you quite level-headed, like most people should have been, or were you all aboard this roller coaster of England being the best team ever, England being the worst team ever, to England being the best team ever throughout each of our group games? No, I, I think you know, relatively level-headed. Going into that Wales game the other day, I, I said sort of before we started recording this that I just felt no angst or anxiety whatsoever. We played in a similar sort of way to the USA game in the first half where it looked a bit slow, but we looked more in control of the game as opposed to the USA game. And, you know, second half, it was always going to be the case that Wales were going to open up a little bit and the gaps were starting to show. And then Marcus Rashford just shows up. Um, you know, he's he's uh, border feeding the kids now. He's just gone on, you know, smashed in a free kick and got a, a lucky sort of second where Danny Ward should have probably done better. To be fair, Danny Ward should have done better for... I'd say two out of the three goals. Oh, well, speaking um, speaking of Danny Ward, it hasn't been a good World Cup for this other 14 representative. He obviously came on as a substitute partway through Wales's game against Iran after Wayne Hennessy, the Nazi, alleged Nazi, sorry, got sent off for uh, charging out his area and wiping out the Iranian forward. Danny Ward has then come on and then conceded two late goals and then conceded three against England, which means that in the space of maybe like, I want to say about 120 minutes of World Cup football, he's conceded five goals. Not really a, a great showing for the poor lad, is it? No, not particularly. Um, but going going back also, I think there's still a level of, well, quite a majority, I think, of England fans who just have never really got Gareth Southgate at all and just constantly against him. Um, especially after that USA game, where uh, rightfully so, we were all sort of just so frustrated because it was a very frustrating game to watch, especially after the 6-2 hammering of Iran. But just generally felt with four points from two games, 99 times out of 100, that is good enough to then go into the third game and get you through. So that's why I said Wales game, I had no issues whatsoever. I thought we were always going to score in that game and it turned out to be the case. Go, go through as group winners, Senegal in the next round, not an easy, not an easy game at all. With the potential of playing France in the quarters, it it just you know the World Cup ramps up from here on in. It certainly does. Talk about going into that Wales game. I do appreciate that the USA game was it wasn't good. It wasn't attacking. We weren't strong going forward. 
obviously USA had picked up the how important Bellingham was to us and double man marked him throughout the whole game, which meant our midfield just had no time on the ball. But the USA did play well. Um and they did cause us a lot of problems. Obviously, going into that Wales game though, I look at the Wales team and while in 2016 they had a good amount of Premier League players who were all near their top of their game. So looking at that, they had the likes of Ben Davies, they had James Collins, they had Ashley Williams, obviously Gareth Bale was on form, Aaron Ramsey was on form, Joe Allen was maybe as good as he's ever been. While this time round, looking across the side, they've got some good young Premier League players but they don't really have any of the highlights anymore. I'm looking at Dan James. Obviously, he's been a Premier League player for quite a while now, but doesn't seem to have really cut it. Um, they've got Brennan Johnson, who came on for Gareth Bale in that game against England. Nico Williams, again, an upcoming Premier League player. But they don't really seem to have that strong squad anymore that can really challenge. And that England game, they didn't even show that they wanted to challenge, did they? Um I know that it would have been an asking a lot for them to qualify. They would have had to beat England 4-0. But at no point did they even look like they wanted to try and score a goal, particularly throughout the whole game. Um, It just seemed like they were there to just roll over and just let England walk over them for the most part. Yeah, there didn't seem to be any sort of real impetus in in Wales' play. I think England controlled that game very, very well. Yeah, going going to Wales, I I think... (sighs) Because that sort of golden generation that you sort of mentioned, I know, I know that's sort of quite a cliche in international football, the golden generation. Um, I, I think we, it's a cliche, but it stands strong. I think you look. It, at, it does. You it look does, at Wales so. and you look at Belgium this time around as well. Um, how their golden generation is perhaps past, but it, I, I think it's a fair thing to have. Yeah, I, I guess I didn't. I, I probably misspoke there. It wasn't necessarily in terms of like a cliche, but it's probably sometimes maybe a little bit overused. Um, sometimes, mm. but you look at the lights, yeah. Bale, Ramsey, all the other players that you've mentioned, they just mi- seem to be like missing of a sweet spot where you've got all this raw talent coming through as well. The likes of Nico Williams, Dan James, uh, Harry Wilson, for example, where they, they didn't quite get the best out of each other. And this World Cup could have potentially been that. But I think for the likes of Bale and Ramsey, it was probably a step too far for them to really have any impact. Right. If you look um, at how much football they've actually been playing recently and the level at it, it's not quite... Like, yeah. It's not quite Gareth. It's not quite quite Gareth it's Bale not Real Madrid, Real Madrid winning Arsenal, Champions League. It? It's not no, exactly. Aaron Ramsey at Arsenal winning FA Cup. Exactly. Um, so I think you know first first World Cup since what was it nineteen fifty eight? I think for for Wales. Yeah, 62, 62 years. Something like that off the top of my head. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, fantastic for for everybody in Wales to you know finally see their team at a World Cup in the finals, but it just leaves a little bit of a sour taste, I think. The fact yeah. that they've only come away with one point and, and only scored, what was it, one goal in the end? Yeah, and, and I think that Gareth that, Bale's that penalty, defeat, wasn't it? Yeah, and that defeat against Iran pretty much summed up what was just a, a World Cup. I don't think it was necessarily doomed from the beginning, but it, it just sort of fell like a lead balloon, to be honest. Yeah, and it's less good. I'd say it's pretty much a pretty sour taste in um, in Welsh fans. We'll get into more detail about my experience of going to Qatar for the World Cup um, shortly. But I did actually speak to a large amount of Wales fans because when we were on the flights, I did end up speak, sitting next to a couple of them. And a lot of them 
had no expectations for Wales, which I I do ex- which I do respect because it's their first time in the World Cup in ages, and maybe they're not the force they wanted to be like before. But you just would have thought like try and dream big. Um, I don't know whether I don't know what their approach was. I know that looking at the group, they from their point of view they were against three teams that are all ranked in the top twenty in FIFA rankings. Yeah. But you turn around and look at some of the upsets that we've had so far in this tournament, and we'll go on to talk about them a bit more. But if you're that Saudi Arabian team against Argentina, you're going, oh, they've got some good players. They've got Lionel Messi, one of the greatest of all times. They didn't just go, oh, well, let's try and eke out some draws, did they? Um, no, they really went for it and attacked. And that's what, unfortunately... I didn't see from the Welsh players and the fans, I feel they made all that effort to go out there and they were brilliant. Like in the England Wales game, they sung throughout the whole game. They were absolutely tremendous and they traveled in such numbers and it just feels a little bit, I'm almost disappointed for them that they were almost let down a little bit. Yeah. You sort of look back to the 2016 Euros where basically, you know, England passed the disappointment of losing to Iceland and then just seeing sort of the Welsh exploits it just felt sort of similar to that sort of like Leicester City side that we you know mentioned so many times in this pod from you know 2015 2016 it it wasn't so much about individual players but it was just sort of sometimes moments of just sheer brilliance and just a general team ethic it just mm. didn't seem to have that um this time around yet yeah, you know Wales did have like you know a couple of unfortunate injuries along the way Nico Williams had to be forced off um, early on in, in the England game, Wayne Hennessy, red card, but, you know, just, I, I can only describe it as a bit of a WWE sort of high leg kick. Um, it, was, it was it was an awful challenge, wasn't it? I've got no idea yeah. what he's thinking. And, yeah, just, you see, you sort of look back to the, you mentioned the Argentina-Saudi Arabia game. There was a video that went viral, um, I think a couple of days after it, where the, I can't. I don't know the name of the guy, but the uh, Saudi Arabian coach, who's literally just in the dressing room at halftime, just absolutely laying into his um, his boys, and you've got the translator there doing it in sort of like the obviously Arabic as well. So they're being shouted at in two languages for <laughs> exactly the same sort of point being made. It's just yeah, it's like <laughs> give the poor guys a chance, but basically just saying, just get your asses in gear. You're at a World Cup, you know. Doesn't matter so, uh, at yeah. the end of it. Just show that you've you know, you just put some effort in Absolutely. and it showed in that game. I mean, that was one of the, one of the just instant classic, like, well, oh, it's Cup a massive, results. it's one of the, becomes one of the biggest upsets of World Cup huge. history. Absolutely um, huge. Saying that, though, did you hear, to do that. obviously there was then a national holiday for this in Saudi Arabia after the result. Yeah. Uh, but then also all the players have been gifted a Rolls gifted. Royce. I saw that. Yeah. Which, brilliant. Absolutely I would like to know brilliant. what the Welsh equivalent of that would be had they like, taken a scalp like that what uh what would they have been gifted uh but no it was for fiesta i don't know well let, let's go on and talk about some of the upsets let's not try yeah. and um upset welsh fans too much so looking at some of the upsets which i know we're all for here on the other 14 podcast yeah um, japan beating germany absolutely that was another one that was absolutely out there tremendous result um the former allies from 1940s, obviously nothing, nothing, no love lost there anymore. No, absolutely no Japan, love lost absolutely there. Absolutely tremendous performance. Germany just didn't know how to deal with them. And tremendous 
final goal, um, the way the guy finished from, I couldn't tell you his name for the life of me, but from such a tight angle to get the 2-0 win, that was such a big upset in that group. Looking at it, though, I think Germany are going to qualify from the group now, so as much as it was a fairly big result. There's only um, one point from, they, they drew against Spain, didn't they? Oh, they did, but I think because they're going to rely on Costa Rica to... Um, oh, yeah, true. So looking at that group, Germany are on the bottom. So they, if they beat Costa Rica and Japan don't get a point from Spain, then Germany have qualified, which seems a bit mad that they're going to qualify with a draw, a loss and a win. Um, but I'm pretty sure they're guaranteed to do that. Although yeah. it would be interesting because actually no on goal difference... Because Germany could beat Costa Rica and if Japan beat Spain, but we'd need Spain to have a goal difference swing of about six or so yeah. because their goal difference J- is ridiculous. Japan didn't really help themselves losing to Costa Rica there. It was like, an, you know, no, once again, it was a huge then, opportunity for them there. Yeah, and then that's quite a big result for um, for Costa Rica because they're not a particularly large country, are they? And no. that's uh, quite a big win for them against, um, against Japan, particularly after being absolutely annihilated by Spain. Um, I suppose other upsets, uh, most recently Tunisia beating France. Obviously, France seemed to be the World Cup uh, winners-elect as they looked tremendous in their first two games, but then losing to, to Tunisia. And most importantly from that game, former other 14 alumni from who used to play for Sunderland, Wabi Kasri getting the winner. Wabi Kasri. When that popped up on the, little, uh, oh. on my, on the app telling me who scored... Absolute flashbacks from when he had a probably a fairly unexciting stint at Sunderland. I think he scored quite some good goals, but his goal against France was tremendous. He weaved through about four or five players and then slotted it past uh, Mandanda, who was um, in for, well, other 14 alumni, Steve Mandanda, who was at Palace for a bit. Um, And it was a tremendous goal from him. So absolutely huge shout out um, to him. Obviously, it wasn't enough for them to qualify, um, because Australia took the second place in that group. And I suppose we should really mention one of the teams that has quite a lot of uh, other 14 members in, uh, Denmark, not qualifying. That's quite a shock. So if you're talking about, well, when we t- spoke about our other 14 teams last week that we made, you had Crystal Palace and Danish defender Joachim Andersen, who then obviously is no longer more in the World Cup. Damsgaard as well for Brentford didn't make it through um, as part of that team. So probably quite a disappointing result for Denmark there because there's once again a team that has a lot of talent but just didn't seem to gel on the day. And then with them losing to Australia and drawing with Tunisia and then losing to France, it's a pretty poor, paltry one point for them, isn't it? Specifically considering that that team got to the semi-finals of the Euros last time out. Oh, God, they did, didn't they? They did. Yeah, that is a real fall from grace for them. So... yeah. Um, but tremendous... but you, you always get one of those sort of like teams who, you know, in previous sort of major tournaments have done particularly well and then just fall away in, in the next one. Um, oh, as a, I suppose... And just Denmark happened to be it that time around. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose speaking of underdogs, uh, the team that have kind of upset the odds so far, um, Morocco currently looking like they could end up qualifying in the Group F where they were up against a much favoured Canada Belgium coming towards the end of their golden generation and then Croatia. Morocco have every chance of qualifying there. Um, and as part of that, they beat Belgium quite convincingly 2-0. And Belgium were absolutely appalling in that game. 
Yeah, I, I think easily the end of the road now for this. Um, again, using that 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 phrase again, but that that Belgian generation seems to have reached to the end of its shelf life. Absolutely. Um, um, the De Bruyne looks absolutely tired in that Belgian side. I just think he's I so because obviously there's a lot of infighting going on. De Bruyne yeah. initially saying, "Oh well, we're too old to win the World Cup," uh, and then I think Jan Vertonghen after they failed to score against Morocco, then came out and said, um, oh, I suppose we're too old to score goals as well, obviously pointing fingers at the attacking lineup of you've got the two Hazards, you've got De Bruyne, you've got the Batshuayi, Lukaku, yep. all failing to, uh, failing to do anything. Should have picked Origi. <laughs> Where is Divock right now? Is he on the bench at he's AC Milan? Milan? Yeah, he's, he's not Milan. really played much, has he? But looking Is at you Divock? That, Looking at that team, though, uh, Belgium team, obviously we've got um, Castagna, Onana, uh, Tillemans, all yep. who aren't good, Dendonka. Who Very bright players. Really, yeah, and they really need to up their game if they're going to get any further in uh, in this tournament because they do need to definitely get the win in their next, next fixture to go through. Um, but obviously, great result for... Um, Morocco in that game. So, talking, looking at their players who are um, part of the other fourteen, we've got uh, Nayef Aguard, um, Sofiane Buffal uh, of Southampton, and then yep. looking at one of their goal scorers against Belgium, Roman Sice, who used to play for Wolves, who they got oh. rid of as part. Does of he not play club. for Wolves anymore? No, he he was one of their defensive losses over uh, over the summer. So, do you know how they got oh, rid of Bruno Log? Yeah. Uh, Bruno's out of job, but um, and then also playing for them, and I can't remember who he played for in the other fourteen. But Amrabat, I'm looking at their lineup. Oh, um, no, I, I was about to say that um, elsewhere out, but that's completely no, wrong. No, um, um, I'm trying to remember who he played for. Um, I'm pretty sure he used to play for the other fourteen. Are you, oh, he played for Watford. Of course he did. Yeah, Watford, there you go. Uh, well, Watford, of course, they signed everyone. He, he, yeah, Nordin he, he probably got three Watford managers sacked in, in the time that he played. <laughs> yeah, he was he played there. For them. In all fairness, he played 44 times for them and uh, in the league oh, and was there then. for two years. So that, that's quite a lot of managers he probably yep. went through in that time. <laughs> oh, God. Well, yeah, it was the sp- over the space of three seasons. So 15, 16, yep. 16, 17, 17, 18. So definitely saw his fair few managers in and out at that time. So, oh, 100%. Um, but great couple of uh, underdog results that we've seen so far. And I'd just like to talk about some of the other 14 performances. So main one from last night was, see, Argentina were uh, looking a little troubled after losing to Saudi Arabia and then had to come up with a couple of results for them to go through in this group. Um, but they seem to be just, well, against Poland last night, it seemed to be an attack v defence. Uh, with Poland trying to see eke out the draw. Um, but Alexis McAllister, like 40 seconds into the second half, our Brighton man pops up with a goal from just on the edge of the box, just coming in late and popping it in off the post. Um, great, great from him, considering he was part of uh, an Argentina side that's packed through with atta- attacking talent. The fact that he started the game and then also scored um, just goes to show how quality he actually is. Yeah, I think that's the thing. It, it, for him to have an impact in that side, especially in a game which was just so tense for you know Argentina fans sort of watching world over, especially those in Qatar, for him to pop up with a goal, 
you know, similar to what he's been doing for Brighton all season long, just having an impact for him, like you said, to have an impact in that Argentina side, the likes of Martinez, with Alvarez, with Messi, to him to come up with a, a crucial, crucial goal is just huge. Mm. And, you know, big up the other four team because that is what it's all about. Just, Absolutely. you know, they're there, they're representing and fair play to Alexi McAllister there. He's got his side through to the knockout stages. Absolutely. And finally, um, I know we've spoken a bit about other 14 alumni so far. Uh, one of the performers so far, well, one of the performers of the group stage who hasn't made it through to the last 16 of the tournament is Enna Valencia with Ecuador. So what um, happened there? What, what happened with West Like, I, I remember him being at West Ham. So he was at West Ham for, I want to say, like two and a bit seasons. Was he, was he um, a, a Pellegrini sign-in? No, it was, um, I want to say it was under Big Sam, but it was in 2014 he signed for us for 15 million uh, euros, that is. Yeah. He wasn't bad for us. Um, he scored a good few goals. Like, when he scored, he scored good goals. He yeah. played for us during that um, Pyatt season as well under Slavin Bilic, so he's one oh, of our right. attacking options. Yeah. I remember he scored an absolutely wicked free kick um, against Bournemouth at well, the vitality now, but I don't know what it was called then. Um, but yeah, he just never seemed to get pace. Um, he was then loaned out to Everton for a bit and was okay uh, when he was there for, I think, about a season. Um, yeah, a bit of an odd one with uh, Enna Valencia. But this World Cup, um, he was out, scored three goals in the group stage and you thought that he was going to be enough to get them through to uh, through to the next round. But Obviously, didn't happen, and that means we've seen uh, we've waved goodbye to three um, other fourteen members in the Brighton contingency of Ecuador, with Caicedo, Estupinan, and Sarmiento all not making it through. Which is a shame because we spoke up so much about that Brighton contingency in the Ecuador side, but they just weren't able to make it through. Which is a bit of a shame because they would have been had they qualified and beaten Ecuador on that last game of the group against Senegal. Um, they would have come up against us and that would have been good fun having kind of a bit of a Premier League reunion there with those three up against uh, the Premier League regulars of the England squad. But um, alas, not meant to be for them. So Tom, we've spoken so far about England's performances um, and we'll go into a little bit more detail about them. But I suppose this was very much a different World Cup for me to what I'm used to. Um, Normally I'm sitting on the sofa shouting at the TV, cursing at... Roy Hodgson, Sven Goran Eriksson, Fabio Capello, and any other assortment of drag Steve. players that we took. Um, did Steve make it to a World Cup? No, no he didn't. He didn't. No. Yeah, poor Steve. Missed out on the 2008 yeah. Euros. Oh, God, he was poor, wasn't he? Bless, bless Mr. McLaren. Um, and then looking at any number of poor players that we've sent along from the big six to go and play, even though they're useless at football. Um, but a bit of a different experience for me this time around, as I was very... In- very much in the fortunate position of actually going out and watching all three of England's group games in Qatar. Um, So as an experience, absolutely, absolutely mental. Because as I say, I'm used to watching it on the TV and actually being in the ground at a World Cup, how to say, just completely different, completely bizarre, completely mad. Um, and going to probably the most controversial World Cup that there's ever been in terms of location. Yeah, I mean, 
Christ, I've got, you know, so many questions that sort of come straight to mind. First of all, that literally is it. What was your experience like sort of amongst those out in Qatar? And what was the overall feeling being in Qatar watching those games? So in terms of my experience, so I... I'm just kidding. The very fortunate position. I am. Um, I wasn't like one of those who, one of those fans who ended up staying in a tent in the middle of nowhere or a shipping container in Qatar. Um, I actually stayed in Dubai the whole time I was out there and flew in and out of Doha for the games. So that's probably where my experience is maybe a little bit different. Um, I suppose if I go game by game, so the first game was against Iran. So I flew into the flew into Doha a number of hours before the game. Um, it was our one game that was the slightly earlier kickoff. Yeah. So the flight from Dubai, absolutely full of Welsh fans. Um, so because there were so many fans that travelled in number, they had the late kickoff in that game, but com- oh, we were right. we were completely outnumbered in terms of numbers on the flight. So talking to them, really interesting. So all of the Welsh fans were properly on a jolly up. We because I sat next to two of them on my flight while in Dubai. They had been on an absolute bender the night before, like at a hotel. They so they'd arranged like some sort of uh, some sort of Welsh supporters club had arranged a, with a hotel in Dubai, so a set price for as much drink as they can in like three hours. So they got absolutely tonked. Um, my brother was sitting next to a I want to say a sixty four year old guy who was saying I was, or might be slightly older, because he was going, I was two when Wales last played in the World Cup. Um, <laughs> but he was an old <laughs> he was an old guy, um, and he was as getting involved on the drink as much as anyone else. They were then telling me, but when they went to Doha, because they had the late kickoff, they had like a good number of hours between the flight landing and the start of their game. So I asked them, I said, yeah. what, are your, what are your plans? Because my understanding is there wasn't at that point. There's not that was a, a lot of time to kill. Yeah, there's a lot of time to kill. Also, like, that is, from my understanding, is or how it's been reported, is there's not much to do in uh, Qatar. But they turned around and said, oh, part of the Cardiff Fan Supporters Club has arranged with um, a hotel in Doha to once again put on, I think it was 75 quid each. And they said, we're just going to go and drink champagne for the whole afternoon. So I don't know how many of them. Fair enough. I don't know how, like, as much as we talk about drink not being available, clearly there are places you can go and get it while out there. Um, even if it's yeah. not like, oh, let's just rock up at a bar. Um, but then actually my experience of going to that game. So we landed at the airport and we spoke to, because um, there's helpers, advisors who tell you, oh, you want to go and do X, Y, and Z uh, to get to the game. So our first one was at the uh, Khalifa Stadium, which is just kind of to in the west of uh, Doha. Um, really easy to get to. We're directed to the metros. About We could have got a shuttle bus to this metro stop, or it was like a 10-minute walk for us. Um, so we got to the metro, and then it was one train all the way to the stadium. Yep. While we're on the train, um, a load of Iranian fans get on a couple of stops in that go through more through the centre of Doha. They were noisy. They were making up. They were kicking up a fuss. They were chanting about Ali Day. They had their hooters on. Uh, it was absolutely fantastic. But at the same time, when all these Iranian fans come on, um, these uh, three three guy, white guys who look just they look English kind yep. of get into our carriage and they spot us and go, 
oh, we found some England fans. And so um, we're like, oh, hi. And then I noticed they're wearing lanyards. They're all wearing press passes. So right. Um, so they then start talking. They're like, oh, so what's your experience of Doha? And we started talking about our experience. And one of them starts getting out his phone and starts making notes. So, <laughs> so then they introduce themselves. So the guy that was taking most notes was um, a journalist called Sean Ingle of The Guardian. And he then started asking us about our experience because I was there with my brother. Um, and he was asking us our experience of travel, what it's like getting tickets, about why we weren't staying in hotels um, and all of this and about our travel to and from the stadium. And he then started asking, he was like, oh, so where are you from? What's your name? Um, what do you do for a living? He then paid me and my brother, well, we're wearing this like a badge of honour now. He turns around and goes, you're not like most England fans we talk to, which <laughs> we're inferring that he thinks because we weren't absolutely on the piss and we could uh, string more than two sentences together. Yeah. Um, but they were really intrigued. So they asked because it was just after the news about Harry Kane um, not wearing the one arm, uh, one love oh, armband. One armband, yeah. And they were like, oh, how does that make you feel? And I said, well, I disagree with FIFA on the point. I believe that FIFA should uh, be allowing, if players want to wear this, they should. Um, and then his face also lit up when I went, oh, yeah, coming out was a bit contentious because obviously the nature of the World Cup, and we've spoken about it on a previous podcast about yep. Qatar hosting it. And uh, then go, oh, yeah, my wife's uh, an equality and diversity manager. Um, he, his face then lit up and he was like, oh, controversy. Um, but actually, it was really good. Um, one of the other um, one of the other journalists there I actually recognised, but I didn't want to kind of be like all fanboy over him. Fanboy, over, yeah. Um, I saw his lanyard. I recognised his name immediately because I think I already followed him on Twitter. So I recognise it because um, he actually helped Mark Noble write his most recent autobiography that's come out. Um, it was Jacob Steinberg. So I don't know. I've right. seen him pop up on Twitter a couple of times. So I immediately recognised him. He was quite quiet, though. Um, but they asked us questions all the way through to the stadium, um, which was great because we were suddenly like, oh, we're famous. Um, anyway, we get to... So I'll, also, I'll quickly stop. I'll just interject quickly. You were, you were interviewed by the press. Did yes. at any point... Did you plug the pod? So when they asked what I did for a living, I really wanted to say, oh, I do this. Uh, like, this is my occupation and podcaster. But I just couldn't bring myself to say it. And I'm oh. really... So my, what my well, plan is to do first, is I was waiting for them to then for something to go out on social media or like an article where they actually feature our opinion. So I have been searching right. constantly for then on our social media to then plug and be like, oh, this is this is us. So I am slight I am sorry that we didn't I wasn't able to No, you're sorry. Uh, yes. I'm I very, wasn't there. I had no part of this. I'm very sorry that I didn't plug the pod like that. Um thank you. But it does get worse. So once we get to the end of the metro line, they say their goodbyes anyway. We then get out the metro station and pretty much it's almost like Wembley Way. Like we get out the state uh, out the station and right in front of you is the for the game against Iran was the Khalifa Stadium. Um yeah. so in terms of walking distance, it was less than Wembley Way, but you you're right there. It's in front of you. So we're just kind of gather uh gathering our bearings and like just making sure what entrances we had to go in. And while we're while we're standing there, another guy walks up to us with a cameraman and he goes, 
Oh, hi, do you mind if I ask you a couple of questions? I'm from uh, the Associated Press. And I, and immediately me and my brother were like, we're pros at this now. All the, all the, pa- <laughs> all, do this. All, all the press want us. So yeah. we ended up then having an interview uh, with him for five, ten minutes, um, just asking usually like, what do you make of England's chances, blah, 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 blah. It was all very good. Um, so then I was really keen. I was like, oh, that's twice. I'm going to, someone's going to print something that I have said. And um, so then throughout like the rest of the day, um, I was then um, looking through, just searching on, uh, searching on social media, uh, through Google, like the news feed, searching my brother's name and my name. And then uh, Qatar, just to um, just to try and find yeah. like anything where where we've yep. been used. Uh, so because the uh, press association, what they do is pretty much they take all the interviews and then they sell it off to other uh, other media outlets. Um, yep. So they not everyone has to have a man on the ground. So I was like, oh, I wonder where I could pop up. So um, unfortunately, the one. Uh, the one publication I didn't want to appear on is the one that's taken my hot take. So I oh, ended no. up on dailymail.co.uk. Just just to reassure the uh, the listeners, we are not a right-wing sporting podcast. We are not. Um, anyway, so short and sweet about me. Bruce Parker from London, who flew in from Dubai, said he is excited at a tight first game. He added on England's chances... We've got a good chance. I don't think there's any outstanding favourites for the tournament. So there I was, so happy to be interviewed twice. And then I get like 10 words directly quoted from me um, in the Daily Mail. So <laughs> that was you, you can wear you can now wear that as a badge of honour. Oh, it's not a badge of honour, is it? It's absolutely sure. <laughs> anyway, so maybe but I, I, I guess that, you know, that's, that's a good thing, sort of, you know, press being out there trying to cover it see it directly from their own eyes and, and gather it. i mean because there's nothing sort of misconstrued there at all no you know they're not trying to sort of use it no, to they, they won't. push a political and... point they are just trying to assess and get the experiences of those who are actually at the games and exactly. see how they're feeling so mm. no so that was good um it's just obviously <laughs> it's just that it's just a publication you don't uh, want to be in. yeah exactly um and then for the, every other game every time i saw a camera or someone with a press pass i was kind of like inching towards them as we walked as if they were going to suddenly turn around and go oh would you like to interview but I feel like I was immediately tainted as a Daily Mail reporter <laughs> and wasn't asked again um as for the games um so the Iran game really easy to get to went to the game a tremendous 6-2 win um absolutely fantastic the atmosphere was pretty good the Iranian fans made a lot of noise for most of the time until they then lost quite badly, um, at which point the England chant at them was, are you Scotland in disguise? Uh, which was very entertaining. Um, but as a... I had to get it in there at some point. As an opportunity to go and see my first World Cup game, I've never had the opportunity, never been in the fortunate position to go to a World Cup. It was mad to go and watch a 6-2 win. It almost seemed too easy. When like the goals just started flowing in, because uh, we went, what, 4-0 up? It almost seemed, yeah. It seemed too easy and like it shouldn't happen. Particularly as Iran aren't a bad side. Um, no, they're the in the top twenty, as we've already mentioned. Exactly. So absolutely phenomenal um, uh, of an experience um, to be able to go to that. Um, so yeah. Then 
That was mad. And then the second game against USA. So a, a drop of realism, I think. Oh my in that God. Game. Yeah, like if I'd watched it on TV, I would have gone, oh, well, that's miserable. I'm glad I wasn't there to watch that. Apart from the fact that I was there to watch it and it was <laughs> it was so miserable. So um, this stadium, though, was absolutely, well, the first one was really easy to get to. The second one, absolute chaos so this i was going to say like all, all of the stadiums are in and around doha aren't they ish most of them are easy to get to um either by public transport or like let's say a 20 minute cab journey uh yeah. well no sorry up to 40 minute cab journey this one however now albai is proper north and the, pretty much the rest of england's games so if we win our uh 16 well, our quarter 16 and semi will all be at this stadium and it's an absolute arse end of nowhere to get to. So to get there, you'd have to go get on the metro system, go as far north as you can and then yeah. get a shuttle bus even further from, like, say, the airport, Doha International. It's an hour's cab journey. Um, oh. So it's quite far. It, <laughs> It's it was absolutely mad how far it took, uh, how long it took to get up there, um, but then it was getting back. That was the night. So obviously we watched this awful game of football. Um, just mm, the players, just no creativity. The USA did well to press us, and there were some very good performances from the US. It, it wasn't an instant classic. No, not an instant classic. But the journey but, home yeah. was absolute chaotic. So we trying, uh, we looked to get a cab to the airport because it's like we're thinking, oh, we're going to be tight for time. Anyway. You go across, you have to walk about two kilometres weaving in and out to get to where there's taxis. We'd book for an Uber. There's like an Uber lane uh, to pick up Ubers and taxis. But that just seemed chaotic. No one seemed to know what they're doing. Walk a bit further and there's just a car park. And as you approach the car park, there's about, I'm going to say about a couple of hundred or more taxi drivers. As you walk up to the car park going, do you need a taxi? Do you need a taxi? Do you need a taxi? Mm. We had booked an Uber yeah. and he was somewhere in this car park. So we go running around this car park looking for this Uber driver. So we're doing things like, oh, can you stand out, uh, put your torch on your phone and stick your hand up in the air? Or can you bib twice? Every yeah. other taxi driver's doing that as well. So <laughs> lights flash everywhere, horns going. Um, eventually we like get... like being at a Taylor Swift concert, I imagine. <laughs> oh, God, it was mad. Um, we eventually find this guy. Uh, we all pile into his car and then to get out of the car park there's and onto the main road it's like a single single carriageway oh god which is then like have to use traffic lights to get onto the main road so you can imagine the stadium had like 60,000 people in no one's really going to choose public transport from that point you had to get a shuttle bus and then a um and then the metro which would have taken ages anyway but anyway, we the traffic was awful. We get so back. I was, was going to say, uh, 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 sort of the time that you were the game finishing, you know, ninety minutes, sort of referee blows up his whistle, or ninety plus ten is the three extra time that being played in this World Cup so far. Mm. Um, from that time, what? How long was it until your flight home? Back or back to Dubai? So the game was on the twenty fifth, but so it was local time. It was a ten pm kickoff. Yeah. So you assume then roughly two hours. The game will be about two hours. So let's say that yep. then takes you to midnight. It was just after midnight. We then had a 3.05 flight. So we had to be at the airport about an hour before that. 
So we had to be at two oh five. So from the stadium to then getting to the airport, we had two hours. That was incredibly tight. We ended up running through the airport. Well, actually, I got out the taxi because we were then uh, with my brother, some friends, and my parents. I hopped out the taxi and I ran through the airport first because I didn't have a rucksack for security to check. And so I could, I managed to get through to the gate at last call and I stood, well, they then sent me through and then there's a bus to take us to the airport. I didn't yep. move out the doorway of the bus. I was like, I'm just going to wait. So I waited <laughs> for then uh, the rest of the party to turn up and get on. But it was that tight. They were doing last call to get, uh, to get the bus in. It would not surprise me that people missed that flight because it was the turnaround to get out from that stadium to the ground, uh, from the ground to the airport is horrendous. And I think a lot of people will probably be surprised by that going forward for the future England games because they're all going to have to tackle and tussle with that situation. Yeah, Uh, I think that's the thing. It's it's those sort of kickoff times that if you you are there... It's so late. It is so like... Because if you go, bear in mind, for that game, we had got to Doha a bit earlier. So we'd already had about, well, we got to probably Doha about five, six hours before kickoff because we wanted yep. to see what there was, have a little look around. Um, but even then, like, so if it was, the turnarounds were a bit crazy and it was, this stadium was so out of the way. It was absolutely horrendous. Um and England fans are going to have to get used to that for the next couple of games. Um, the Wales game, much easier though. So this stadium was, um, you could get the Metro out there, but it was a little out of the city. But rather than it being like an hour or so cab journey, it was only like half an hour from the airport. So okay. it was, that was actually dead easy. So this time we actually got a shuttle bus from the airport to the, to like the main centre of Doha where all the stuff is happening. That yep. was actually pretty cool um, because we went through this... Oh, I think it was meant to look like an old part of town, but it's got loads of restaurants, outdoor seating, and there's loads of football fans just everywhere, um, yeah. creating a bit of an atmosphere. So at one point we were walking through and then this pack of like 10 Argentina fans come charging through with umbrellas above the air. Not that it was raining, but Argentinian flag um, umbrellas chanting as they're walking down the street. Everyone's obviously taking photos of them. Everyone's a football fan there. That was really yeah. good. That was really, that's probably the most football-y kind of fan kind of experience that was actually there that I uh, I got. Yeah, Because even when you got to the game's, early so outside the stadium for the first game against Iran because it was an early kickoff it was so blooming hot you didn't want to stand outside outside the stadium because it was too hot so you wanted to get into an air-conditioned stadium which is still crazy thing um and then uh, but there wasn't even though there was like a fan zoned kind of stuff by each ground it just there was a stage with someone playing some music that was about it and then when yeah. you got in the stadium, they had like some stadium announcers and then they had, oh my God, like it was, oh, I know it's a job that people obviously do to try and create atmosphere and an environment within the stadium. But they had on pitch sides, they would have an English speaking um, like host, let's say, and an Arabic speaking host, which is absolutely fine. But then they would yeah. have someone in the crowd from each team, like who was like from each team going and talking to fans and trying to generate an atmosphere and like but they were the most energetic people in the world (laughs) and particularly like for the usa game there's a guy wearing this bright red blazer with sunglasses 
I was going to like yeah. American guy full of so much excitement and like energy. And bear in mind, it's a 10 p.m. kickoff. Most people there are knackered. So having yeah, this guy over, the, over a trouble. microphone and loudspeaker making all this noise, be like, hey, let's get up. Let's get some atmosphere here. And then obviously the USA game followed. It was awful. Um, anyway, Wales game. That was a lot different. So uh, as I said, we'd been into the centre of town, large atmosphere, really good. Get to the ground, um, fills up quite quickly. Wales fans, absolutely tremendous. The atmosphere they generated, the chant, their singing of their national anthem was absolutely phenomenal. Because what they have is, if you're part of the fan clubs, like there was a Welsh yeah. end and an English end, they split those, and then everywhere else was kind of free for all. So we were actually ended up in a group of England fans mostly, but there were Welsh fans in and around us. Um, right. Also, while you're there, you had fans from other countries in and around. So um, there's some Spanish fans and Mexican fans, you know, it's in our first game. Yeah. So because people just want to go to watch the football, the, it that. makes sense. You're like a yeah. ballot and everything like that. Um, so that's sometimes how it happens. But the um, yeah, that Wales game. First half was a huge upgrade in terms of performance from the USA game. Um, really, I, I thought it was attacking play was much better. I enjoyed having Kyle Walker in the side. His pace yep. was absolutely tremendous to see. Rashford starting um, and Foden, both of them. I know um, they both they both brought some energy that Sterling and Saka just didn't in the USA game. Um, yeah. So really, really good. Um, glad to see Mount got dropped as well because he was awful in the USA game. Um, but as you say, never really worried at all. And then it was just pretty much after that first goal, it was that uh, that relief, I think. Half, that kind of deep breath of, oh, actually, we're going to be fine. Because even though Wales yeah. had been pretty awful throughout the whole first half, hadn't really offered much at all, they'd maybe had that slight sniff of goal. Because um, there's the one where Joe Allen hits oh, on the half volley, blazed it high and wide. Yeah. But had he connected it with that good, yeah. that could have been top bins. Um but otherwise, looking at certain players like Gareth Bale was atrocious. Kiefer Moore, if we're talking about other 14, absolutely appalling. Um, obviously, Nico Williams in the first half went off injured because he got a Marcus Rashford howitzer to the face. It was yes. it was brutal. Like, like he was so close. It was such a ferocious shot. Like no wonder he went off with concussion because that was brutal how hard that was hit into yeah him. It, it was right on the top of his head and that's what i was watching on obviously on the on the telly and just see where it's hit because sometimes if you get a flush in the face you sort of like an instant impact and sort of okay sometimes you can brush it off but when it is on pretty much the top of your head because there's not much between that and your brain it you does... don't really have any fleshy bits do you no, exactly. And you could just tell as soon as he sort of went down, that is concussion. And again, this is the, the run keeper in the first game. Um, and obviously with Nico Williams in the third game, this is just somewhere where football really has to improve in terms of concussion protocol because you can't allow players like that to continue on. Oh, I know it was... it's difficult to see the, the symptoms of concussion pretty much immediately, but it's just sometimes where it just needs to be proved slightly like the likes of rugby and, and cricket, but that is sort of beside the point. Um yeah, I was really surprised, particularly in the Iran game, because it was such a brutal collision that the keeper yeah. stayed on for as long as he did, because he was bleeding out his face a, quite yeah. aggressively. Yeah, well. exactly. I think it's somewhere where football needs to improve. Yeah, the Nico Williams one as well, because like, I saw that Bale actually went over to him and told him he to go off. Because you can yeah. understand, as a young player, you don't really, like, it's a World Cup, you don't really want to miss a game no. uh, or any minutes. Um, but obviously, he did have to go off, which was yeah. unfortunate. Um, let's hope that he's actually all okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, then in terms of 
um, my actual experience there. The England atmosphere was absolutely tremendous, um, particularly when you're winning 3-0. It's, yeah. it's great. You're cruising. Looking at our chances, we probably could have had about six. I think Wales were a little lucky that it wasn't more than it was. because yeah. they, they deserve to be absolutely punished for the way that Rob Page set them out because they, they went out not looking for any sort of result and they deserve to be absolutely torn apart. Um, it's yeah. just a shame we couldn't get more. Um, one positive... I think I, the performance I, there was probably the key thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think Callum Wilson's looked really good, though. Um, I've been really impressed with Callum. In the Iran game, he came on and was parts. so unselfish in getting the yeah. assist. Like, he could have gone for goal, but him sliding that across... He squared for, it. <laughs> yeah, for uh, for Grealish. It was Grealish to tap in, I think, um, yeah. in the first game. And then I just think he played really well when he came on for Kane. Uh, well, you could see that Rice and Kane were taken off for resting purposes. Yeah, so exactly. Was, as soon as so we got those Walker first couple of goals, that was it. Yeah, Walker yeah. was also taken off because clearly... Yeah, because then Trent Trent came on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Callum Wilson's came on and looked really good. So um, he looks really sharp and really hungry and that's really good to see. Yeah. Um, I, I guess I've just got a couple of questions really in terms of your experiences um, just to add. So sometimes with World Cups and major tournaments, we sometimes see when fans all do get together, there is sometimes a little bit of a drop, a little bit of a problem. I know you weren't really in Qatar for a long time, just purely just for the games. But did you see any sort of because you're talking about like the the fan zones and the mixture of different sort of countries? Was there any issues? Was there any sort of bad blood or no? You know, um... Was it all just sort of good natured? It was really good natured, considering how mixed, obviously, a lot of the fan seating is and even getting into the stadiums and stuff. I don't know whether particularly because the games I went to, um, looking at like the Iran game, it's not like there's a rivalry between England and Iran. But the Iranian fans were really loud, really good. Even when they came onto the train, they saw us in our England shirts. They didn't give us any stick. They were just too busy chanting about themselves, which is completely fair. Um, they were loving it before the game. And then when they did end up, like they got their two goals, which I was actually almost glad for them. They got two goals, yeah. which um, one of them was a great finish. The penalty, I don't know how that was a penalty. But in terms of no, I didn't see any real fan confrontation at all. Even when we were on the plane, our first plane journey, we were amongst, a, like, there were so many Welsh fans, but they outnumbered us significantly. Yeah. Um, they were all just really nice. Um, like the one that sat down to me and sat down next to me, he, as he sat down, he was like, oh, you've got a long flight ahead of you. But actually, we had just a really good open chat about what uh, Wales's chances were. Looking at talking yeah. about like that, as we've spoken about the golden generation, what they make of that, the young players coming through. Uh, one thing was quite amusing was um, <laughs> um, talking to um, talking to one of the one of the Welsh lads. He turned around and said. Well, let's be honest, Dan James, if he didn't have his pace, he's a League Two football player. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I, I was like, that. that's quite a It's a hot take, but I, I get it. Mm. So, um, yeah, it was, it, but yeah, in terms of no problems with fans, um, cool. I don't know whether um, like there haven't really been any really hot rivalries in games, to be honest, but I don't know whether that'll come as the game, like more, there's more importance in the game. Yeah. Yeah, um, but it's all been fairly relaxed so far in what cool. I've seen, and I As... suppose with taking alcohol for the most part out the situation, probably doesn't hurt things. Like when uh, when speaking to one of the journalists, they were like, "Oh, what do you make of beer not being at the ground?" And I turned around and said, "Well, as someone who goes to football every week, I don't really drink every week. Like it doesn't. I don't feel it goes hand in hand for me that much." And I said, "Or um, well, to be honest, given the Euro." 
uh, Euro 2020 final. Um, I think we wouldn't have had half the trouble we did have if there wasn't any beer around the stadiums anyway or people weren't drinking to excess. So if anything, it probably helps with crowd troubles and just issues because people get stupid when they get drunk. Yeah, that's the thing. And I think you can still create a good atmosphere um, without alcohol. I mean, you you really only have to look at the um, the women's Euros mm. this summer um, to prove that point. That final against, um, who did we play? Germany, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, the, the final against Germany. Fantastic atmosphere in, in a sold out Wembley that pretty much summed up what good natured football support is all about. Exactly. Um, so. so I, yeah, I, apart from Budweiser being pretty pissed that they're sort of um, other beers are available, um, that their beer wasn't being sold at the World Cup. It was quite funny. It was quite funny though. Decision. Yeah, at the grounds though, it was quite funny because they uh, still had all the advertising for proper Bud, but they sold oh, their, dear. but they, but they sold Bud Zero. I think is their non-alcoholic okay. version. Um, and then there's like notices going around saying, like over the PA system going, remember to hydrate between buds. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, um, what buds? Yeah, exactly. But you could have got, it was still full price. And also you had to be over 21 to uh, to buy um, oh, okay. a, a non-alcoholic Budweiser. But as I've turned around and said, and Budweiser, if you're looking to sponsor us, do come in contact, no, do contact us but i did say i'm not really upset about not drinking budweiser um, I, I wouldn't be either alcoholic or not it's not my go-to choice um brought to you by the great people at heineken no <laughs> no no um, um but yeah um any yeah. other questions about the experience yeah i was just you sort of mentioned um quickly just hot rivalry sort of going on to the, the question of hot there was a lot of talk about um the qatar world cup obviously being held in qatar and obviously moved to a, a winter to try and ease the the whole temperature sort of situation, did you feel, obviously it's air conditioned stadiums? Did you feel comfortable watching the football? Was it you know early two point was like oh this is too warm because especially the um the England Iran game where it was like a, an earlier kickoff. Yeah. Um, did did it feel sort of uncomfortable or was it? Did you feel relatively? The thing is, the the temperature was maybe like like because it is that winter. I know it's the, I know it's still it like is, the Middle East. It's kind it's of it, the thing is, it was kind of like low thirties on the start of the day. As I said, when when we got to the ground for the Iran game, it was out in the open. There wasn't really much cover. That was quite warm, and we didn't want to just be standing around. Yeah. It. So we did make our way to the uh, into the ground, but like given the at the USA and the Wales games, they were so late at night, ten o'clock kickoffs. Like I was walking around in shorts and t-shirt, and I wasn't hot, hot. I was comfortable, but I wasn't hot. Yeah. Um, then when getting into the grounds, like I was surprised how much you could feel the air conditioning. Um, so I'm sure for the Iran game, it probably did help the players in cooling them. Um, yeah. Even as fans, you could feel it. But then once again, for the Wales and the USA game, I don't think it because of how late they were. I don't think you necessarily yeah needed it from a fan's perspective. Um. But it's, it's it surprised still me there. that like they haven't really been stopping for for water breaks. Um, well, that's the thing; it's not that it's not that hot outside. Yeah. Like by the time it gets around to ten o'clock, there, it was probably mid-ish to high twenties. Is what I would take a guess. I didn't actually yeah. take a temperature reading, but if you think about come around May and June time in the Premier League, like a three o'clock kickoff, yeah. Our, our players are used to that sort of temperature. Like it's not that much isn't an issue for them. Yeah. So um yeah, given the air conditioning as well, um, it's I think there have been hotter World Cup. If you look at like when it was in South Africa, how hot it was for players. Brazil as well, we talked about the like those drinks breaks and stuff. 
Um, the the only thing that makes me laugh is that they Qatar keep pushing out saying about how it's a carbon neutral World Cup, <laughs> and um, they've got ads during the game about the, uh, well not during the game but halftime and before the game with Marcel Desailly talking about recycling and being good for the planet. Yeah. Um, he's like, my one goal is to save the planet. As you hear the drones of the air conditioning going around the stadium, <laughs> and it's like, oh, I just feel a little bit. They need to be doing a lot of carbon offset initiatives to try yeah. and get rid of uh, just being filled by gallons and gallons and gallons of crude oil. Yeah, exactly. So you know, from that experience, wasn't uncomfortable or unpleasant to be honest. Yeah, um, and probably just finally one for me. Did the whole World Cup seem well organised? Was it sort of well put on? And were there any... I mean, there was a lot of talk about sort of ticket issues in the first sort of couple of games. Were there any sort of organisational issues or just like logistical issues? So in terms of organisation, I have to say, as with, I think, a lot of major events, if you look at like London Olympics um, I went to, the focus is actually very much on the fans and the fan experience. So when, from the moment we touched down in Doha, going through the airport, there's members of British police there, giving and other members of like from the World Cup giving out advice about travel. Here's what you need to do. Here's where you need to go. Here's the best places to meet and get X, Y, and Z. Um, so that part is really good. Obviously, got the metro. It was all free. Um, the full time you're there. Don't have a problem with that. Um, really good experience on that. That's good. The shuttle buses, we went on one at one point from when we landed for the Wales game to go to like kind of the like the main fan area from the airport. Really comfortable, really nice and easy, really regular. Once again, not a problem. So there is that real focus. Um in terms of any gripes that I've ever that I had with it at all. So I don't know whether it was first game issues, but like there was talk about England fans having issues get or well, fans getting into the stadium issues. Uh, we didn't yep. experience that because we got there so early before the game because we didn't want to uh, encounter any issues, and we're like we want to make the most of what's there. There wasn't a great amount there, but um, so got there nice and early. Didn't have any problems ourselves because what you do to get to the country. So first of all, to apply for everything, you need to get something called a hire card which is pretty much you send some information to the world uh, to Qatar World Cup um, yeah. going, here's my name, this is my passport number, here's a photo of me. And that's pretty much your ID while you're there so to let you in. And then uh, there's an app, which is the ticketing. So when you go through to, um, when you're going through to the stadium, they scan your hire card, which is a QR code, and then the ticket, and then let you through. So that, like, it's all on phones. So... Um, I assume you might be able to have printable versions, but we had all of ours on yeah. devices, so you can understand why people might have old problems, particularly if there's then a technology shutdown which causes issues. So yeah. fortunately, we were yeah. able to avoid all that. Then in terms of um, issues at the ground, one of the things that was absolutely staggering to me is we turn up at, to the ground, well, to around the ground quite early, um, and they have what appear to be food and drink stalls because we're warm we wanted to go grab a drink so there they have yep. um waters fanta coke and all of that sort of stuff it's sponsored by coca-cola so all those sorts of drinks so we go to pay and they go oh you must stay you can only pay by visa so because visa are the sponsor interesting uh, sponsor of the world cup so you can only pay by visa card or cash so we're like between us, we were like, well, we've got an American Express, we got MasterCard, because most places aren't using Visa anymore. Recently, my bank account recently changed their cards. I got sent out a MasterCard instead of Visa. They're like, oh, we're done with Visa. So fortunately, we did have a card which was Visa. So that's what we ended up spending putting our drinks costs, uh, like when we bought drinks. Yeah. 
But if you didn't have a Visa card, you could then buy Visa top-up cards from the Visa stall. So you could go and buy a single, like a, a, a like a cash card pretty much with Visa. So you could go and take your MasterCard or whatever and go and buy a 50 um Fifty pounds. Yeah. So that was a little. I know they've got sponsorship obligations. Yeah. But from a fan's point of view, if you don't have a visa, that's just not like, helpful. It's not helpful. No. Um. But then we're like, oh, we're quite hungry because given the time of day, we're like, well, we'd be able to get some food from the ground. So outside, they've like outside in the areas they've got um like marquees with selling drinks, selling food, and they had all the prices. And we're like, oh, can we have a chicken shawarma wrap? And they go, oh, we don't have yeah. any of those available yet. And like you could see behind them, like their heaters were empty. Like what would keep the hot? And we're like, oh, when we'll be available? Oh, an hour's time. So we were there very early. We're like three hours before kickoff. We got in as soon as we could to yeah. the area around because we we're like, well, we'll see what there is to experience. Like there's going to be a store um, and all of this. So outside they go, now was time. So we're like, okay. We're like, do you have any food? And they didn't even have any crisps or anything like that. So eventually we go through like make ourselves busy doing other stuff. So we go to the FIFA store incredibly disappointed by the quality of merch i would have liked to buy something no good merch at all really poor like i'm actually like it was really upsetting how poor it was what sort of prices were they some of the stuff wasn't even labeled with prices Uh, to be honest i wasn't paying that much attention nothing i think was completely outrageous because i don't remember looking at the price and being like shocked but really like i think like you're looking at like eight pounds for kind of like a fridge magnet so if you're going to like a museum in london kind of what you expect yeah uh, usual sort of like so yeah so and that was really upsetting and disappointing like the merch because i would have really liked to also no match day programs (sighs) i would have loved to have a match day program from at least one of the games if not all three because i like getting a program when i go to a game anyway yeah no programs their defense was uh, or their line is about programs is um, we're saving we're saving paper use and saving the planet. You're hosting a World Cup in Qatar. <laughs> You're not saving yeah. the planet. You're air conditioning the uh, the stadiums. So that that was really annoying. Or we'll make it out of u- reusable material. Yeah. Anyway, we then go into the stadium, and there's more food and drinks kiosks, and we're like, oh, they must have food in here now. Yeah. So we then check. Like we find our seats and we keep going back. So we're getting like getting drinks and stuff to stay hydrated. But we're pretty much going back to the kiosks every 20 minutes. We're like, do you have food? And each time they're like, oh yeah, 15 minutes time, 20 minutes time. Um, yeah. At one point we go down and ask a guy and he goes, I've got no idea. Uh, so I appreciate the honesty from him, but hot food, like we could buy some crisps at that point. So we've got like some French cheese crisps. Um, yep. which, French, um, French, yeah, right. Know, exactly. Um, but before before the game um we only it was only 20 minutes before kickoff we were actually able to buy some hot food which considering considering you want fans there early to avoid logistical issues like they had with fans not being able to get into the ground surely it'd be best to encourage fans to get there as early as possible but if you're encouraging fans to get there as early as possible feed them like i mean 20 minutes before kickoff i'm probably in my seat at that point Oh yeah, uh, exactly. If, I'd, I'd be at the ground like forty-five minutes before, or just you know, that's when I'm looking for food. But exactly. twenty minutes is like, well, if 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 everyone's going down for hot food, that's what like a sixty thousand seat stadium, whatever it was. For, fortunately, the queues weren't too big, so they did have that. Yeah. They had a lot of food and drink kiosks everywhere, which yeah. was, I suppose, is a good thing. That probably make makes it up for that. Yeah, but, yeah. but uh, 
at that for us because we were quite hungry because we had traveled uh traveled yeah. to doha because we had like a, a fairly early flight then got the metro out because we because we were like oh do we get food near the airport not that there's a great deal there or do we travel to the ground and see what's about we're like well it's a ground at a world cup there's gonna be food there's there. gonna be food yeah it was appalling as a football fan um, yeah. just as like that was just no food, really, to, particularly as you weren't then. Also, you couldn't take food into the ground. If you're taking snacks with you, they were all getting confiscated. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. I can understand about water because, like, with airport security, they take away all yeah. sorts of drinks and stuff because you're not allowed liquids. But we saw people rock up with, like, bags of crisps and stuff and have all of it confiscated at security. Um, so to then not have a viable, good food option at the stadium was really disappointing. I don't know whether so, that sorry, was just you... game one because then the rest yeah. of the games we ate we went and ate, ate a meal beforehand, fairly close, like closer to kickoff, so we didn't need food at the ground. Um, yeah. But so that was our one game where we actually wanted food at the stadium, and it was just disappointing yeah, not to be able to get yeah. it any sooner than we could. Um, I okay. have to say though, when we did eventually get the tr- chicken shawarma wrap, it was actually quite Pretty... good. So oh, I'll, I'll take good. that. Um, but yeah, that 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 was probably then. Um, for the first game, the dis- most disappointing thing. And then, as I've covered before, this, the other disappointing thing was purely the travel issues going to the Albate Stadium. And I know that that's going to be a gripe for so many football fans uh, going yeah. forward um, because that's it's an awful place to have the late kickoff. If, it, if it's an early kickoff, that makes it manageable. But yeah. because it's a late, you've got to go there late, You've then got to get to the like people then having flights in the early hours of the morning when people are tired and most stressed out. It's an awful place to have it, to be honest. Um, that that would be my one criticism there. The other criticism right. of the whole occasion. But overall, a, a good experience and glad you went. I yeah, I think so. I got to I got to watch England. If I'm looking at it purely on the face value, of, I got to watch England at a World Cup. I saw yep. England score nine goals at a World Cup. Then I'm like, that is great. Um, well, would it, I prefer it, it, it to it, be somewhere closer? Yes. Would I prefer it to be somewhere with less issues surrounding it? Yes. But I think like most England fans, if England were to go and win the World Cup in uh, four or five weeks' time, where however soon it is now, I think most like most fans, I'll turn largely a blind eye to it and celebrate the victories rather than worrying about everything else, which yep. I suppose how much we're prepared to sell our souls, I guess, a little bit. <laughs> Not pointing anything at any any fans of the, of the other four team, but yeah. No, well, 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 that's the thing. And I know you can get into a lot of what aboutery going, well, yep. if you worry about this, you worry about that. And yep. like, uh, ultimately, do I believe Qatar should have hosted a World Cup? No. Um, but in terms of a fair basic on the face value of a fan experience, was it did I have a good time? I'll say yes. Good. Yeah. So um but no, now England after that have a, a round of sixteen a game against Senegal, which is going to be this Sunday at seven o'clock. So oh I'm excited. Are you excited for that and then Tom? I'm excited, I'm nervous. I'm getting chills. It's knockout football. I'm also, it's I'm knockout football. It's so it exciting. Knockout, it, it is knockout football. Um, and I was sort of on the on like the start of um, proceedings of this World Cup. I was sort of looking at it. Um, 
our route potentially to the final because you know it's England. We're going to get to the final. Football's coming home. Um, you were always sort of looking at Senegal or maybe one of Senegal or Ecuador being our opponents in the round of 16 because you know I think we were always going to win the group. But you just sort of now looking, oh, we're playing Senegal. Oh, they're the holders of the Africa Cup of Nations. This actually might be quite a tough test because there are no sort of pushovers. You know, they proved that in in the um, in the tournament this, uh, at the beginning of the year in the um, Africa Cup of Nations. They yes, they don't have Mane, but there's still no pushovers. They still managed to get through the group. They are no pushovers, um, but they did lose their first game to a not a great Netherlands side. Yeah, I've been disappointed with Netherlands. And then they did go. They did then beat. They did beat a poor Qatar side. Let's be honest, yep. Qatar were dreadful. Um, yeah, as a host go, they weren't very good in terms yeah. of the actual footballing side of things. Mm. Um, I think they're the first hosts to lose all three of their yeah. group games. Um, there was no Shabalala moment. No, so. and to only score the one goal is uh, oh, it's pretty poor as well, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yep. But yeah, Senegal does worry me a little bit, but Oh, and this is the issue that fans will have and England will have is that we're already eyeing up the quarterfinal, which is yep. probably going to be against France. But he was in front either first. Yeah, well, exactly. So that's gonna be the that's gonna be the tricky thing. Yeah. So we're playing we've probably got we got the winner of France Poland, and based on how Poland played last night, they were dreadful. So um all eyes will be yeah. on I mean, I'd love a Polish upset there. Because I don't think Poland have enough to beat France. And it would us. help matters. Mm. Um, but yeah, as you know, you're sort of speaking sort of um, about beating what's in front of you first. I think that's probably been the issue with a couple of teams. So far, like some of the bigger teams um, in this World Cup so far, they're trying to manage their way through the group stages where well, you just so, have I to take Germany, each game as it comes. Germany, for example, would have been eyeing up Spain as the big cha- challenges for them. Exactly. And they slip up and lose to um Japan, And then you're just really so. panicking at that point as well. Exactly. So, um, so. Yeah. Oh no, it's um, it's going to be tense. Knockout football is some of the most stressful stuff going. But the thing is, what I find with Eng- think with England, and it happened with the Iran game, it happened with the Wales game, is that once we score, everything our attitude as a team changes. Like I th- yeah. genuinely think, if we'd scored one of those half chances in the USA game, it would have been a completely different story. But even against Iran, we started off I mean, a little yeah. cagey. As soon as we scored one, our players suddenly played with such freedom they were making the most outrageous of runs they were all over the place creating space creating movement creating opportunities same with Wales as soon as Rashford scored that first goal it was then a completely different team out there and I just think once again if we I think always in this in this uh in this competition I think if we score the first goal we will win I just think it just changes our mindset as a team so drastically yeah, and I think that's the thing, you know, um, looking at obviously Kane in that first half of the USA game where he gets the shot on goal, but um, I, think, was it, I can't remember if it was a block or um, the keeper saved it. If that got in, that, that game would have been completely different. I think you're absolutely right there. I just I just think sometimes when, you know, it, it takes, with our attacking threat, we're going to score goals but it's just the way we play to get in those positions in the first place. If, we got, if we're playing against a team who sort of gets players behind the ball, sometimes we find it a little bit tricky to sort of just get that incisive pass sometimes. Yeah, that, I mean, but our, that's why our... I think we inevitably almost 
look like we play better against the tougher teams because they don't yeah. go they don't low block us. Yeah, they don't it, try and it, just set up shop for a draw. It's getting that final ball, and I, I felt that in the USA game, and I felt that a little bit in the first half of the Wales game, but I, I knew that game was going to open up, whereas the USA game was always going to be quite cagey affair, I mm. felt. And once that game does open up, as I said, our attacking threat, the likes of Rashford, Kane, Saka, Foden, um, except, except so many different players that you can just sort of name into those sort of positions that we will score goals. Um, mm. It's just trying to open up that game in the first place. Exactly. And obviously we're in a mad position where we've scored nine goals so far and our main man and golden boot winner, Harry Kane, hasn't even scored yet. But he has three assists. Oh yeah, no, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying he's not on form. Yeah. If anything, um, he's doing a really good job of uh, dropping that little bit deeper and, dra- and dragging, dragging a centre-back with him to create space behind. And that's the thing. If you're a striker, if you're not scoring goals, the other thing you want to do is impact play. And that's exactly what he's doing. Exactly. Um, that wasn't a slight on Harry Kane. I think. Oh, no, 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 no way whatsoever. No. But I, th- I think, but in the Euros, he had a slow start in the Euros. I don't think he scored in the group we didn't stage score until there. the Germany game. Yeah, exactly. And then it was suddenly like Harry Kane's phenomenal, which he's yeah. an unbelievable strike as much as he's Tottenham scum. Um, but for <laughs> now, he's an England player and he's England, uh, England captain. He's England captain. Exactly. Um, but no, it will be all to play for. So between, well, between now and the next episode, we've obviously got the Senegal game. And then should that all go well, we'll be, uh, well, next week we'll be summarising all the round of 16 fixtures and looking forward to the quarterfinals. Yes, absolutely. And that will be very exciting. Okay, well... Tom, I suppose that's it for this bonus episode of the Other 14 podcast. Thank you for joining me. And so thank you for downloading and listening to this week's episode of the Other 14 podcast. Please subscribe uh, to us and give us a rating on your podcast platform of choice. And do recommend us to friends, family and other 14 fans and anyone you meet in the street as well, I guess. Um, If you're down the pub watching the England game, give us a shout out. Or if you're watching any of the games, um, given our USA fan base that um, I can see that we've got, Tom, they've obviously made it through to uh, the round of 16. So I suppose we should be yes. um, we should be latching on to that soccer soccer fever over there and yes. uh, try and broaden our listener base there. So all our USA fans, we um, thank you for the nil-nil draw and we'll be wishing you well also in the round of 16. Yes, it was um, very rowdy in the uh, in in the New York bar that I was watching the game. Yeah, so good luck to them there. Um, so well, I guess it's goodbye from me, and it's a goodbye from me, and we'll see you on next week's bonus episode of the Other Fourteen Podcast. <laughs>